LT, my friend, it's almost upon us. The last ever wellness summit in Melbourne. The last one ever? Well, definitely the last one for at least two years, LT. That's right, this year's Wellness Summit will be the last one for the foreseeable future in Melbourne. It will be the biggest, the greatest, the most inspiring, the most empowering summit that you've ever seen. The last one in Melbourne? That's right, LT. That's ridiculous. I can't believe my ears, but I guess if that's the case, then let's go to thewellnesssummit.com if you want to enter the code FINALMELBOURNE16. That's FINALMELBOURNE16 to get $100 off your regular price tickets. You get to enjoy two days of food, movement, and mindset on September 10th and 11th at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Center. Hey, LT, did we say it's the last one? It's the last one in Melbourne. Oh, good. All right. I'm glad we told him. Hey, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. Enter those codes. Save some money. See you at the summit. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Hello and welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and here I am with the legend himself, the co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys, Dr. Damien Christoph. Hello, legend. Hello, Marcus. Now, Damien, you had the great fortune recently of sharing the stage over in San Francisco with one of humanity's greatest people. Absolutely. I speak of a man by the name of Mitch Albom. We've both read his books, not all of them, but some of the best books you will ever read. Mitch Albom, for those of you that don't know, is an internationally acclaimed author. He's a journalist. He loves his sport, which means I love Mitch just like so that. Much. Absolutely. <laughs> um, he's a musician as well, which we'll talk to him about as well. And Mitch has been good enough to join us from uh, his home in the States. It's a very warm 100 Not Out welcome to you. Thanks for joining us, Mitch. Thanks for having me on your program. Mitch, uh, we had a... a the great pleasure of sharing the stage at the wave in uh, san francisco only a few weeks ago and uh, when you got up to speak uh, i i don't know if everybody knew the gravity of your message uh, and, and to what extent you'd be able to move the crowd but there was absolute silence in the crowd as you uh, recounted the story of uh, tuesdays with Mori. now the amazing thing about uh, that particular presentation was that it seemed to come so much from the heart and so much of what you'd learned and and, uh, and you appeared to have been moved so much by your lecturer uh, from university uh, that you then shared the, you know, the, the closing you know, few months with him of his life. And, uh, and what was profound about that was that it seemed like it was only days ago that, uh, that this actually had occurred. But when I read the book myself, I realized that it happened some 20 years ago. And, uh, and I, was, I, was, you know, I kept on thinking, has the story of Tuesdays with Mori and the story of, of Mori Swartz, has that been something that stayed with you and affected you for the whole of your life since then? Yes, it, it has um, on a lot of different levels. I mean, I, I think uh, if I had never written a book about the experience, it still would have stayed with me all the time because it was very profound for me personally. But having written a book about the experience, then everybody else in the world who read it uh, constantly reminds me of the experience. And so there's probably not a day in my life unless I stay in the house that someone doesn't come up and say, oh, I read Tuesdays with Maury or 
I like that part in Two Days of Glory, or what was that like in Two Days of Glory, or I'm going to ask to speak as, as you attended at different groups and talk to them. So uh, in its own way, it's sort of like, I always say, it's like the, the graduate class that you never get out of. You just keep going back over and over and over again. And so uh, I, I'm like a permanent teaching assistant to my old professor. Uh, and you're right, it's 20 years next year uh, for the book, 20 years, more, more than 20 since it actually happened. And I don't think I'll ever forget it. I mean, it's permanently embedded in my mind. Well, Mitch, I mean, the, the thing is, when you look at the numbers, we're talking 35 million uh, books sold. Um, you've written, uh, this is The Magic Strings of Frankie Presto. Can you bring this up so people can, can have a look? We're talking, this is book number seven. Um, I've read Tuesdays with Murray. I've read The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Now, remind me, I'm sure I've watched, there's a, there's a movie as well. Do I remember correctly? Is it Cuba Gooding Jr.? Is, is it Cuba Gooding Jr. or someone that's in The Five People You Meet in Heaven? No, uh, there have been four movies so far made of the books that I've written. Uh, Tuesdays with Maury was the first, and that had Jack Lemmon played uh, Maury, and uh, Hank Azaria played me. Uh, in The Five People You Meet in Heaven, John Boyd played Eddie, and there was a whole long cast, Ellen Burstyn, Jeff Daniels, Michael Imperioli. Oh, that's uh, right. Minichick, lots of other people. It was a big Epic kind of, and he's in the play, and he's in the, the yeah, and he's in the um, what we would call Luna Park. What do we call like a big um, theme park? Big theme park, big theme park. Yes, an amusement yeah. park, right? Yeah, an amusement park. Yeah. So you have a constant. When, when Damien was asking you about the impact it's had on your life, my view is with so many. I mean, thirty-five million books is larger than the population of Australia, and then some. Yeah. So right. just to get a bit of gravity towards the level, like you said, your Maury's constant. Um, teaching assistant for the rest of your life. I gather that it's something that you can never escape. I'm curious just because, you know, you're a human being. I'm sure you value privacy as well. I mean, do you find it hard to always be the guy that has had the profound impact on people's lives when you're having a tough day or things are just hard? Do these people build you up or do you sometimes find the mountain of uh, love almost overbearing or overwhelming? Well, I mean, it's... It's a fair question, I think, maybe better suited to someone whose notoriety uh, came from, you know, being good looking or being in a movie, uh, you know, <laughs> playing a superhero. Then I think people like that probably have a right to say, you know, it gets a little old when everybody says, make the Iron Man face or make the Superman pose. Yeah. But when, when people come up to me, they're usually telling me some very profound story in their life. They say, you know, you know, as you mentioned before, I was a sports writer prior to doing this. I still, I still am. I mean, it's part of my life. But I mean, I was a full-time, full-time sports writer and sports journalist and broadcaster before Tuesdays with Maury. And I always say that before I wrote that book, people used to stop me all the time because I'm on television here in the States. And so, you know, your face is recognizable. And they would stop me and they would say, uh, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? And those kind of questions, I would always just sort of keep walking as I answered. You know, I'd say, oh, the Patriots, bye-bye, you know, or somebody else, bye-bye. But after Tuesdays with Maury, uh, the questions became more like, hey, um, my, my grandmother just died and she reminded me of Maury. Or my wife died and the last thing we did together was read Tuesdays with Maury. And can you share something with me? And you, in, in cases like that, you can't just stop and say, Patriots, bye-bye. You know, you have, to stop. <laughs> you have to have a conversation. And so the kinds of things that I get stopped for 
as opposed to sort of being annoying, like you're saying, or like, geez, I'm, leave me alone, I don't want to make the pose. It's, it's actually invigorating and very, uh, it, it, it takes you out of whatever problems you might have at that moment because people are, are seeking comfort or seeking guidance or asking you something that maybe you remember Maury said that's going to help them. You know, so I, I don't find it a bother at all. I find it an honor, really. I don't mean that to sound a cliche. I, I'm, I, I, like I say, I'm not being stopped because of, 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 a, of a movie role. I'm being stopped because people think I have something in my life or that I've experienced that might help them. And that's a very important position to be in, and I take it very seriously. So it's never in 20 years been a problem, burden, or an annoyance in any way. It's beautiful. It's so nice, isn't it? It's beautiful. Hey, Mitch, um, there were so many uh, great, amazing takeaway pieces of, uh, of Tuesdays with Murray. And at the very end of the audio book, uh, we're blessed to be able to listen to you and Murray talk. And so there's, and, and to listen to the, the things that you describe, you know, the shortness of his breath, the type of, the, I mean, the impersonation of the voice that you do throughout the book is so close to uh, the way in which Maury speaks. <laughs> you kind of go, wow, that's just, that's amazing. Um, but there's was, there was a few things that I really took away from that book, um, in particular, uh, what we value around um, our life. Uh, what does a dying man think about when he's about to leave the planet? You know, what are the most important things? Uh, and, and so on and so forth. Given that you've, read, you, you've obviously written the book, you've then obviously read the book because you read it to all of us, uh, what are the things in particular that stood out from your last 13 weeks with Maury that you still today use as, I suppose, an instruction manual for life for you today? Well, um, it's not an exaggeration to say, you know, there were 16 Tuesdays and uh, there are easily 16 major lessons that I learned from that that I employ in my life today, every day. I mean, it's a little bit like saying, you know, what's the smartest piece of advice you ever got in your life? You might be able to come up with one sentence, but then that sentence doesn't apply to every single element of your life. And you say, well, wait, but the smartest thing I heard having to do with love was this. The smartest thing I heard having to do with money was this. The smartest thing I heard having to do with, you know, uh, death was this. Mm. And the reason that I sort of broke the book down into the... Um, the way that I did is because that was the way that we actually visited. You know, it wasn't supposed to be a, a, a book. I mean, sometimes people get a little confused about the history of Tuesdays with Maury. I didn't go to visit Maury, who was dying from what you call motor neuron disease down there, what we call the Gary disease or ALS. Um, I went for myself. You know, I didn't go to write a book. I went mm. because I was one of these guys that was going a thousand miles an hour with no conscience about it. I, I worked like six jobs simultaneously, worked 100 hours a week, and my only sort of motivation was do more, do more, do more, go faster, go faster, be more ambitious, accomplish more, without any, it was like a two-dimensional existence. And so when Maury sort of reminded me of who I had been when I was in college, which I think was a much better person and a little you know, slower and kinder and more open to the wonder of the world, um, it sort of stopped me in my tracks and it was somebody, uh, you know, it was like encountering somebody from your childhood saying, who are you? I don't know you anymore. You know, you're not the, you're not the kid I grew up with. Yeah. And when he did that, uh, I went back because I felt guilty about myself, you know, and sort of who I had become. And 
and, and I started to visit him on Tuesdays in an inquisitive sort of way. And because he was always a professor, you know, everything with him was always about learning and, and a particular lesson or teaching. And so we began to break down life by subject. And so one week we would just sort of talk about money, like I said, you know, and how important that really figures in. One week we would talk about the culture that you live in and what if everybody's doing a certain thing or everybody's living a certain way, can you really break away from that and live a different way? Uh, one week we would talk about being forgiving people, the things that they did, or forgiving yourself. And it was always seen through the eyes of a guy who was dying and him saying, look, when you get to the end, this is what matters. When you're at the beginning, you may think, no, 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 it's a totally different value system. But when you get to the end, and we're all going to get to the end, you're going to find out that this is what matters. And I, I you know, that really rung true to me. And so it was, it was really only, you know, about two thirds of the way through our visits that the idea of doing the book even occurred to me. It was only because he told me one time, kind of out of the blue, I'd asked him, what do you fear the most with your disease? That was the question that really led to Tuesdays with Maury because I thought he was going to say, well, I fear the way I'm going to die, or I fear that I'm going to, you know, choke to death, or I'm going to scare people with the way, something like that. And he said, I fear the death that I'm going to leave my family, because uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware until then that he had racked up all these debts, because dying at home in America, you know, insurance won't cover all those things, and he didn't have a very good arrangement with the university, and he had used up all his money, and then he was in debt. So he said, I'm going to die, that's going to be terrible to my family, and then they're going to have to sell their house and pay my bills, and, and that's going to be a second death. Oh, and wow. so it was only then that I got the idea to do the book. But by that point, we had already been sort of visiting and doing one subject at a time, you know, with sort of a lesson about it that you can learn. So I really can't tell you any one single thing. But I will say, to sum it all up in a, in a, uh, a long answer and try to give you an answer to your question, Maury um, used to quote, a line uh, that he really loved uh, that, that read, uh, death ends a life but not a relationship. And you know, I've never yeah. forgotten that because really if there was one sentence that sort of summed up everything, it was kind of in that uh, because you can have a relationship with someone after they're gone, but only if they had an influence on you while they were here. You know, you don't have a relationship with Elvis Presley once he died. He was doing music. You don't have a relationship. You don't have a relationship with, you know, John F. Kennedy after he died, unless you were his family. Uh, you know, you can do famous, amazing things, but that's not a relationship. The relationship is every little moment that somebody gave you of their life and shared with you and, 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 and you know, gave you something to remember them by. And, and so you have to have that relationship while you're here in order to have it go on. And that really permeates everything in life, with your children, with your wife, with your friends, with your family. You have to invest in those relationships if you hope that when you're gone, people will continue those relationships in their heart in any way. It's a, it's a great answer and I think, and we talk about this a lot on the on 100 Not Out, is that you can't biohack your way to a great relationship. The only real panacea for a great relationship is time and, spend, and spending quality time. Mitch, one of the things that you spoke about in your answer and one thing which I would love to talk to you about 
is about culture. And uh, just a quote from Tuesdays with Murray, again, we're all about uh, the magic strings of Frankie Presto, which is the new book, but Damien and I both being fresh, I reread Tuesdays with Murray. My mum gave me Tuesdays with Murray Mitch when I think I was in my mid-20s. And I think, you know, the younger you read it, it's almost like the more profound the experience because you can see how you are going to change the direction of your life over the next six, seven, or eight decades. So I'm always so grateful to my mum for sharing it with me. But one of the quotes from the book is, uh, it comes straight from Maury, which is, the culture we have does not make people, oh, I've just lost my note there. Um, the culture we have does not make people feel good about themselves. Um, and in Australia, I mean, we've had Aboriginals here for tens of thousands of years. 20, yeah, 30,000 years. 30,000 years, but really Australia, since it's been settled, so to speak, is less than 230 years old. And so Damien and I often talk about, we recently ran a trip to Ikaria, a Greek island known for its longevity, but you feel how rich the culture is and, and then you feel how rich their self-esteem is because of that culture. We look at our culture and go, gosh, Australia is still developing a culture. You know, it's still kind of growing. And then we look at, say, lowered resilience in people or the lowered self-esteem. And I read that quote and I say, what do you say to people that don't feel good about themselves and, and feel like they live in a culture which doesn't support them as much? Because I think it's quite a confronting thing to, to, uh, to come across. What do you say to that? Well, I would say to them what Maury said to me, that the, the part that came after the paragraph that you read, which was, if you don't like the culture, don't buy it. Yeah. There is no uh, order that comes down from on high that says that, you know, you have to eat at McDonald's. There's no order that comes down on high that says you have to have a Twitter account yeah. or that says that you need to post on Facebook. These are choices that you make. And I think today, 20 years after Maury, he would have said, if we were doing that book over again, he would have said, let's put that chapter at the very beginning because it's harder than ever to divorce yourself from the culture because the culture is not just Australia anymore. It's global. You know, it's, it's, you, you used to be able to hide from certain cultures just by getting on a plane and going to a different country. Now, as long as there's a computer, as long mm. as there's Facebook, as long as there's Twitter, as long as there's cameras, you know, and people with camera phones, you can't go anywhere. I mean, literally, the culture is around you all the time. And I, I happen to think it's a very dangerous one, the self-absorption of, of talking about yourself and celebrating yourself and posting things about yourself and, and telling the world, you know, I'm this and I'm that. Read my posts and read my name. And, you know, nobody else is important, only me. And, uh, these are very, very difficult things to avoid. You, there's almost no place you can go in the middle of the desert and you can still get an internet signal and you can still see people, you know, doing like this, you know. So it, you have to make a very conscious choice to say, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And I don't care if people say you're weird or why, you know, how could you, how could you not be on Facebook? I hear people say, how could you not be? Well, because you choose not to and you have to choose your own value system and that, really means today, you know, shutting things off, turning them out, keeping your kids away from them, you know, going and experiencing things instead of trying to do them virtually, you know, going and, and breathing in real air instead of getting a screensaver of a picture of a, of a mountain and saying, oh, you know, every day I wake up, I look at a mountain. No, you look at a picture of a mountain. It's not a mountain. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think it's really hard, but I mean, you have to follow that advice that Maury said, it's just, just choose disengage and understand that there's no penalty for disengaging it's your life and you can shape it the way you want I love that uh, you um, Mitch you had an amazing connection with Maury 
from the first class. And you talk about, uh, in the book, you talk about when you, when you met him, you thought that maybe you were going to try and skip class. You ended up being trapped in his class and you had to stay in there. By the end of your course, you ended up giving him a briefcase, which was a very um, moving gesture. And that was like the cement of your relationship. And then obviously there was time there where you kind of disappeared and disengaged. And then when you came back into Maury's life, it was like, um, best friends have been reunited. That's the way in which the book reads and the way in which the story is told. And then at the end of his life, he talks about the communities that he has. He has two communities. He builds a small community around him um, that love him and he loves them. And then there's another community around him that's kind of just there. And, uh, and that's kind of, I know I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you were included in that community that loves him and that he loved. And the profound thing about that was that you spent a number of years together, you know, some 20 years earlier. And then later on in his life, you spent 16 weeks together. But your connection was unbelievable. Like it was unbelievable. And it was, it was, it was, is it palpable? That'd be the right word, isn't it? Like you could really touch it and feel that relationship. And I was at times moved to tears just in the way in which you describe things and the way in which you read um, the book to me in my, you know, on the audible audio book. And, uh, and, and what I found most profound was that you were able to develop that relationship, but that Mori was able to identify who really mattered. And I think that that's what we see in the people that we interview that are aging well, is that they surround themselves with communities that they love and that love them. Now, you wanted to not end up like your uncle, and that was a really important part. Have you found that you've been you've probably been more conscious of surrounding yourself with people that you love more than people that just are there? Are you doing things differently there now? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I can't say that every one of Maury's lessons has, has taken on me the way I wish, as the author of the book, they had. You know, I'd love to be a shining example of every single thing that Maury said or did. Uh, but as I always say to people, you know, sometimes they, they come up to me and say, Maury, can I ask you a question? I say, wait, wait, I wasn't Maury. I was, <laughs> I was someone, remember? I was the kid who didn't get it, you know, and, and in many ways, you know, still I fight against that. But I can say that one of the things that I think I would get an A in uh, is exactly that. Uh, I, you know, I move in a world where there are many, many opportunities to go to parties and, and, and networking and hanging out and, you know, there's a lot of name dropping. You know, I do, I know a lot of people who would qualify as famous and, you know, I've made movies and, and, and I'm on television and, you know, and it would be very easy to just sort of flip from one of those to the other. And I can tell you that I am known terribly known as the absentee member of all those things. I, I, I would much rather just be at home with my wife and, and, and my family than do anything. And I have probably cost myself some connections and some opportunities and, you know, uh, this film or that book or that thing by not going to all those things. But my wife and I joke around as we get older where there's an expression that we say, uh, we're too old to be breaking in new people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't mean it to be you know, uh, negative, I, I, I sort of mean it to say the old friends and the people who I know uh, care for me and I care for for the right reason, they're in my life for a reason. They're time tested and true. And um, you only have so much time in your life. And to constantly be looking for the next exciting person to hang around with and the next person who can help you and the next, 
is 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 a very unsatisfying thing at the end of the day. You know, uh, my happiest moments are when we have our family, our nieces, our nephews, or, or you know, kids in our lives all sprawled out over the house, sleeping on the floor, sleeping on the couch. You know, they all fell asleep, and I walk through the house and I see, you know, there's that one, and there's my wife, there's my sister, there's my brother, there's my nieces and nephews, there's whoever it might be, and everybody's under one roof and we're all together. I, there's nothing. There, there's no connection, there's no movie, there's no book party, there's no anything that comes close to that for me. Um, and I always hear Maury, you know, in my head saying, you know, what you just said, surround yourself with the people who, who really love you and who are going to, you know, who are going to be part of that death end of life but not a relationship circle when you're gone. You know, not people who say, oh, yeah, you know, he, he was the life of the party when he was here or, you know, or, or, or uh, who's going to get his show after he's dead, you know, or, you know, I wonder what the book publisher is going to do now that he's not here to publish his book. I, I don't want those to be the, the comments that are made upon my disappearance. I would, I would like people that I love to say, remember the time that we did this and remember the time that he said that. And, and uh, you know, that's how I think I know I led a, a good life. So I have no problem uh, shutting out the people that, um, you know, shut not being mean, but just saying, okay, I'm going home now, and that's where I'm going to be. One final question from me, Mitch, and uh, this is about the people that you have let into your life. Tell us, is the Rock Bottom Remainders still going? Because this band of people includes Stephen King, Ridley Pierce, and Dave Barry. So there are some famous people which you do choose to spend some regular time with and the rock bottom remainders seem to have done an incredible job raising a lot of money for some wonderful causes and the rest when you're not spending time with family you have a love of music i, I must be honest i haven't heard the rock bottom remainders perform but i want to come to a concert when damo and i are in the states are you still going will we get the opportunity to see you live in action and what can we expect from the rock bottom remainders first of all you're you're blessed to have never heard us. Uh, <laughs> you would not be making those comments if you had. Uh, but uh, Rock Bottom Remainers, for those who don't know what you're talking about, is a band that formed, gosh, probably about 24 years ago. Uh, and Stephen King, Amy Tan, Dave Barry, Ridley Pierce, and myself, um, a lot of people have been in it over the years. James McBride, who wrote The Color of Water, uh, Frank McCourt, Angela's Ashes, Barbara Kingsolver, uh, 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 Carl Hyacin, a lot of people have flitted in and out, but the, the ones I said at the beginning are kind of the mainstay. Uh, I was a musician, so and Dave Barry was a, a musician a little bit. And there are a couple of people that know what they're doing, uh, but for the most part, uh, as Dave Barry says, we play music about as well as Metallica writes novels. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's mostly just old rock and roll, and we do it all for fun. Nobody makes a dime, and we raise money for literacy, and we have played all over the states and a couple places around the world. We were over in England and Ireland a couple of times. And I'm sure if somebody down in Australia wanted us to come down, we'd, we'd put it together, but nobody has asked. And, and rightly so, if you ever heard us. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and I don't do that because of the people in it are famous. I do it because uh, music is my first love. Uh, you know, I finally got around to writing it in, the, in that book, The, Fra the Magic Strings of Frank Impressive, the first time I've ever written about music. But it's always been my passion. And, uh, you know, I'll play in any band any time if I can make the time for it. And it just so happens that those guys are love music as well, even though they all love to write. And we've become quite friendly over the years. And I can tell you that, I mean, for all the time that we spend together in rehearsals and playing, you know, 
around the country, whatever. Nobody ever talks about writing. It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, it's like a refuge from that. Everybody just talks about what chord do we get wrong, you know, but nobody really <laughs> talks about writing. So it's not a uh, networking, you know, it's not a connection thing. It's not an opportunity thing. It's, it's just friendship. And uh, those, some of those people have become really good friends of mine. Oh, Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, speak with you, to interview anyone that does what they love and loves what they do Absolutely. and does it with such passion and, and, and you've been so generous with your time and sharing so many wonderful stories. Folks, for more on Mitch and for the magic strings of Frankie Presto, go to MitchAlbum.com. Check out all seven books. I am busting now, Mitch, having spoken with you this morning. I want to read for one more day. Have a little faith. The timekeeper, the first phone call from heaven. The magic strings of Frankie Presto. I'm just about to finish Tuesdays with Maury for the second time. Again, on behalf of Damien and myself and the other 35 million people that have read your books in 45 languages in 49 countries <laughs> and, re- and watched your movies and listened to your music as well, thank you so much for joining us and for what you do for humanity. And as we like to say to every single one of our guests, may the rest of your life, Mitch, continue to be the best of your life. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. Hello to everybody down there in Australia. Damien, thanks again for your wisdom on 100 and out. Folks, go to thewellnesscouch.com to see all 22 podcasts on The Wellness Couch. Go to iTunes to give this podcast a five-star rating. Push us up the rankings globally. And until next time, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.